Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Zurban Tunes, a show about music for musicians and music lovers by a musician. My name is Zurbanator and tonight's episode is titled Retro Games for Peachy. In tonight's show, I had the great privilege of interviewing a multifaceted songwriter and chiptune artist, Peachy Moonshine. I also have the privilege of having The Retroist from The Retroist Podcast with me for a list of his top five favorite retro video game songs. And I'm going to share with you my own top five favorite Nintendo Entertainment System songs. All this in a sound story to boot. Ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready? Are you really ready? Please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Ladies and gentlemen, your host for tonight's show. From 1983 until about 1985, I had a ritual that I would go through on the weekends. I woke up about 5.30 in the morning, I'd sneak downstairs and would find out where my mother hid the Oreos this particular week, grab a huge glass of orange juice, and watch Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry from 6 a.m. until about 7 a.m. After I finished my cookie and juice banquet, I would get dressed, and then I would sneak over to my mom's purse and find any quarters that she might have buried down in the very bottom, and then I would head down to our local 7-Eleven, which was about three blocks away. My mother has scolded me, by the way, for this adventure in thievery. So I do not advocate stealing from anyone, let alone your mother. So once I reached the door at the 7-Eleven, I could hear the muffled tones from the arcade games as they were lined up against the wall right behind the door. I would go in and literally jog over to the four arcade machines. And there was Asteroids, Tempest, Pac-Man, and Spy Hunter. And I loved the sound of those machines as the music blared and clashed in and out with each other. Each song seemed like a carnival worker trying to get you to put the money in the machine of that particular game. Relentless digital customer service. The universal unspoken rule we had with all arcade machines is that you had to line up your quarters at the very bottom of the game screen if you wished to play next. Sometimes there would be up to $12 lined up at the bottom of the screen. It could be up to two rows, $6 each. And... I swear to you, I don't know how this would work in today's market. I don't think I would trust it nowadays if I was a kid. I was pretty sure that someone would beat me up and take my money. My games of choice were Asteroids and Spy Hunter. And I think I enjoyed the music more than the actual game. The music to Asteroids always reminded me of Jaws. It always kept your heart pounding and always kept you really busy and pumped up for the game. While, on the other hand, Spy Hunter had a Peter Gunn theme to it and made you feel like James Bond. And for those listeners who are very young, I'm talking like three or four days old, back in the olden days with coin-operated arcade games, they generally used custom per-game hardware, often with multiple CPUs, but running MIDI information from a chip within the game's CPU. And these songs were the latest and greatest format, and they were processed in real-time 8-bit sound. So what is a bit? Well, let me tell you. A bit is a digit in the binary number system. It can have two values, 0 or 1. In computer RAM and ROM memory, a bit is a small electrical switch, which is either on, value number 1, or off, value 0. However, bits don't exist individually but in groups of 8, and that is a byte. So, 1 kilobyte of RAM equals 1024 bytes, or 8192 bits. 
All CPUs have instructions to manipulate bits, such as rotating and shifting bits left and right, in RAM or in a register. So how does this pertain to music notes? Well, with 8-bit music, or sometimes it's known as chip tunes or chip music, it pertains when music is written in sound formats where the sounds are all synthesized in real time by a computer or a video game console sound chip instead of using a sample-based synthesis. Now, some of you might be going, but what the... that doesn't... who... and... Okay, I'll explain it this way. If I play a song using my electric keyboard that have sounds that are pre-sampled, such as a flute or a piano, and I play it, I am physically playing a sample-based synthesis sound. The flute and piano are samples of real instruments. Now, without me playing any notes through any keyboards, and I just go ahead and play a MIDI program song through my sound card, then that would be synthesized music at real time in a computer-based sound chip environment. Now, do you get it? Neither do I. I just love the retro sound of 8-bit music. So let's go onward. From the late 70s until about the mid-80s, there were quite a few computers that had this ability for 8-bit music and sound. One of the best ones was the Commodore 64, which unfortunately I never owned, but my next-door neighbor did, and I guarantee you I was over there most of the time. The Commodore 64 was the best-selling computer back in 1982. They had more than 15,000 games available, from simple basic type-in games all the way to full-feature role-player games. And as you will hear later, the Commodore 64 hosted a lot of great music for a lot of great games. And now, sound stories. This week I was asked by a listener to give you a sound story of what it sounds like to live in the D.C. metro area. So I thought, since I have really nice equipment and two feet, I would just take the mic off the stand, plug in the battery pack to it, and take you outside to show you what a day in the life sounds like in the metro area. So are you ready? All right. Hold on. Put down, put down the... Uh, everything. Everything's written because I'm stupid. Hold on. Plug it. All right. And up and let's go out of the studio. We'll go on down here, down the hall. Hi, Elsa. Elsa dog is on the floor. And we'll go out front just so you can hear. Sounds like outside. It's not so bad out here. That's your usual you know, sounds for a neighborhood in the DC metro area. Pretty safe. Really warm out. So that's what it's like outside here in DC. Let's go back inside. Come on out. Back to the studio so we can finish today's show. Plug the mic back in. There we go. All right. Well, I enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed that. 
That was fun. Growing up, we had the Radio Shack TV scoreboard system from 1977. Wasn't much by way of music through this system, but we loved that we could play a total of six built-in games. We had football, we had squash, practice, tennis, target, and skeet. And man, did that plastic gun look real. Used to take that outside, cut the cord on it, and bing, bing, bing. Dad had to go out and buy a new gun. Didn't really hurt anybody. It was plastic. But I always wanted a Coleco system or my own Commodore 64. And I would have even settled for a Tandy computer, anything. But we never had a computer. My cousin had an Atari 2600 system, and I would always play the game titled Adventure. My cousin would make a little voice for the little square as it went about his day trying to fight the dragons, enter the castles, find the keys. The best part is when the little square warrior would lose his key, and then my cousin made his voice get really mad. So we tinkered with that old Radio Shack system for about 10 years at our house, until the release of the Nintendo Entertainment System in 1985. And I love the music that came with the Nintendo Entertainment System. So I've selected five of my favorite games I played the most with my NES system. And I honestly think that the music in these games were more important than the games themselves because these songs would loop over and over and over for hours and hours and hours. And for some reason, it never bored me and it never got on my nerves. So here's my top five. Starting with... Number five. Number five would have to be Contra. I loved Contra. It made me feel like Rambo. I could play that game for days and days and days. And again, the music was always high pumping. At number four, it would have to be Castlevania. Castlevania, for me, was like having Halloween every day because I was out there fighting the bats and fighting the monsters, and I loved the music. two choices for number three, so I'm going to put them both in the same slot. The original music to Pac-Man, which really didn't sound this good on the NES. But I just, I love that sound. And then the NES rendition of Galaga. And I loved it because it just seemed so Christmassy. It was so sparkly. And I loved it. 
number two. This one is probably everybody else's number one, but it's my number two. And that is Super Mario Brothers. Nothing like Super Mario Brothers. It's been repeated so many times. It's been emulated so many times by so many musicians. It's just one of the happiest gaming tunes around. And now, finally... Number one! My number one are these three pieces from The Legend of Zelda. I loved Zelda. I lost so many jobs when I had Zelda. I would get fired for not showing up to work because of Zelda. Zelda ruled. I'm a dork. that pause music to Zelda so much that I actually took the time to learn it on guitar. So let me see if I can play it for you now. It's been a while. Here we go. Yeah, still got it after all those years. Not bad. If you've ever wanted to know how and why things happened the way that they did in pop culture from 1970 until 1999, you've got to check out and you've got to listen to the Retroist podcast. He is the top historian on things that we've loved as children and things that we love again as adults. And if the stories he tells happen before your time, he is the perfect teacher to learn from what I feel is the best time period in history. And now with his list of his top five retro video game songs... Ladies and gentlemen, The Retroist. Hi, this is The Retroist, and I have been asked to sit down with you and discuss some of my favorite video game music of the 8-bit variety. Now, I've always been a big 8-bit music fan. In fact, I was sitting down with my sister recently, and we were discussing my love for the band Devo, and I'm certainly attracted to that style of music. She said, well, I could tell that because you seem to always be listening to that all the time. Now, I knew my sister wasn't that familiar with Devo, but I also knew that I didn't really blast music from records all the time. And when I did, I would try to wear headphones. What she was, in fact, hearing was the Commodore 64 that I had 
See, while I might be respectful when it came to blasting music from the stereo, when it came to video game music, I was very different and could be taken away by what was being played in a video game, and I would continually turn up the audio as I got more committed to the video game. So the list I put together, picked five, could probably be 50, and 49 of them could easily be Commodore 64. The SID chip was wonderful, but I'm going to limit myself to five. So here are my top five pieces of 8-bit video game music, in no particular order, but kind of in the order they belong in. Number five. I'm going to go with the NES. 1989, the opening music to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The way it builds, it pops at the 30 second mark, it's wonderful. Commodore 64 for number four. The theme to Spellbound, which was put together by the musician Rob Hubbard, who is a legend on the Commodore 64. Wonderful piece of music. Builds up, has all these little sci-fi elements. It's just great. to the arcade for the attract mode music for reactor by Gottlieb. It is a piece that is crying out to be remixed for a modern audience. Two comes from probably my favorite game on the NES, and it is the moon from the game DuckTales from If it wasn't for the talent of Rob Hubbard, that might be my number one song. But Rob Hubbard exists, and he also created the music for a game called Monty on the Run for the Commodore 64. And it is a frenetic piece that is inspired by Charles Williams's The Devil's Gallop, which is sort of getting a lot of play in TV shows nowadays. And I just adore Monty's run, and I adore the music of Rob Hubbard, and I think that's probably one of his best pieces.
So there you have it, my top five songs. Thanks for giving me some time to share that with you, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. And we'll be right back after this very important message. Remember, folks, your kids won't know a thing about Atari or the Smurfs unless you educate them. So have them listen to the Retroist podcast weekly at Retroist.com. You'll be glad you did. I'm trying to remember when I first met Mr. Peachy Moonshine. I think it was when I started listening to The Retroist. Peachy does all of the music for each of his shows. And I remember hearing the music for The Retroist and thinking, I've never heard any of the songs in any of these old games I've played. This is new. And there's times I think that Peachy Moonshine was definitely born from Mr. Rob Hubbard. Here's a song that he wrote in May 2012 titled... Zaxorus. It's available for download at his Facebook page, which is www.facebook.com slash peachypixel8, the number 8.
He's known for his many covers of retro TV themes, along with his musical collaborations and video game music compositions. Ladies and gentlemen, a funny, witty, talented, and good friend of mine. All the way from London, England, utilizing a method of speaking that induces 8-bit technology. The master of polyphonic, Mr. Peachy Moonshine. People know you as Peachy Moonshine, with the letter P and the letter H capitalized in Peachy. Can you tell us why? The P and H stand for my given initials. Can you tell us a bit about how you became so musically inclined? I'm not sure. I've always enjoyed music and making noise. My grandmother used to have an upright piano in her house, and I would bang that thing with my hands with a big smile on my face. I took up the violin and the cornet at school, and then joined a band in the same school, and floated around bands for many years. It's just natural for me to make music. When writing music, what is your process? How do you write from start to finish? If I'm writing an original song, the process is mostly the same every time. I create a mid-range instrument in my music software, which is Propeller Hedge Reason, then I start messing around till I get a melody or hook I like. I then lay a simple mass pattern over it and get to work finding a good beat. It all grows organically until it turns into something I like. Sometimes the original melodies, bass and drums will get totally deleted slash changed when I get the feeling that this song is starting to come together. After that, I build structure out in FX. Then after the track is written comes the mastering process, and some tracks can take a few hours tops, others can take weeks. How did you meet up with the Retroist and come to have your music featured on his show? I was googling my favorite subject, retro video games, and the Retroist podcast on the Nintendo Entertainment System came up. After one listen I emailed him telling him I enjoyed the show. We eventually started talking on EOL Instant Messenger and as we have a similar sense of humor, we became friends. And because of my love for retro games, my involvement with the site increased. Having an outlet, via his podcast, was great for me. I got exposure and he got some epically awesome audio for his podcast. When writing a song that has a synth or a poly sound, do you have in mind what you want to use as an expression, or do you have to search until it hits you? I usually search around, but I usually have a basic idea in mind when starting to create a sync. What was your first musical instrument? The first instrument I actually owned was a bass guitar I bought after joining a local band. When did you first find your fascination slash taste for 8-bit music? Although I have always enjoyed 8-bit and video game music, my real push towards the genre started after some requests by the Retroist for something video gamey. The bug hit me hard, and I find myself making 8-bit music exclusively when I am not making music for clients. You're very good at writing different rhythms and instrument parts for your music. Would you ever consider orchestration work? No. My brain does not work that way at all. Is there a game system on the planet that you do not own? Yes. A Bandai, Pippin, a Virtual Boy, and a Neo Geo AES. There are a few obscure ones I don't own, but they are not something I would go out of my way to collect. You're known for your retro TV themes, and there is about a 15 to 20 year gap between our ages. 
How did you become so well-versed in shows that I've grown up with? Well, living in the UK, I remember we got satellite TV for the first time. One of my favorite channels was the Paramount Channel. They played old comedy shows day in and day out. I was hooked. You taught me how to write music using Propellerhead Reasons, Maelstrom, and Subtractor. What are the best and worst parts of creating synth sounds from scratch when you're working on your tunes? And do you have many unfinished tunes lying about? Knowledge is free, just ask. The best parts about creating a synth from scratch is just that. Not only did I create the melody it is playing, but I also created the instrument that is playing it for musicians that use traditional instruments. This is not an option for them. The bad side of making a synth is, um, I guess I have to move the mouse around a little, and click a few times. I have thousands of half-finished songs, ideas, noises, and synths that I have not finished. Sometimes I will open up old songs and see if insinuation hits me, but to be perfectly honest, if a song does not get me within a month of the original creation, then only 1% of those will ever see fruition. Do you have any new albums or projects that you're currently working on? Yes. I'm currently working on an album which will be very video gamey, but is beat and slash or bass driven. I'm trying to not only make something that is 8-bit or chiptune but also something that has been professionally produced in a way that chip trackers cannot do. I should also point out that using a chip tracker has a high level of difficulty and not something that I can use well enough to create a good genuine chiptune, chiptune. Thank you so much for your time, Peachy. I appreciate it. The websites for Peachy Moonshines' music is at soundcloud.com slash retropeachy, or you can go to pinterest.com slash peachymoonshine, or you can find them on facebook.com slash peachypixel8, the number 8. The music used for the interview tonight was called Bitutions, and it was a song that was written by Peachy for the album Does It Bite, which can be found at Jamundo.com. Just type Peachy Moonshine up in the search and click the links for his album. You can find more podtastical enjoyment at Zerbinatorland. Just visit zerbinator.wordpress.com and help yourself to all kinds of shows. I will end the show tonight with a song that Peachy titled A Zerber. Of course, it has the best name in the world for a song. But let me tell you why this song is so special to me. Peachy asked me about a year ago to send him some guitar riffs, and so I did. Only I sent him some patterns that would make a complete song, with verse, chorus, and bridge sections. Now, although he liked what he heard, he said, No, I just want you to send me you playing guitar. And I said, I did. And Peachy, who is a very patient man, he said, just play. Don't worry about phrases, patterns, or even rhythms. Just play. In which I said, oh. So I sent Peachy about 15 minutes of guitar work, what I would call emotions. And this is what he came up with about two weeks later. My thanks again to both the Retroist and Mr. Peachy Moonshine for their contributions and their kindness for this episode. Be sure to visit The Retroist at www.retroist.com and also take a listen to Peachy's music at the sites provided and all of them will be listed also in the show notes for tonight's episode. And I thank you guys for listening and I truly hope you all have a great night.